There's supposed to be a special introduction of me by Rabbi Levy of uh, Torah Mazorah. But uh, due to technical difficulties, I have the honor of introducing myself. And uh, therefore, anything I would say would be uh, underrated. So we're going to let it go the way it is. Except that I want to thank Torah Masorah for organizing this. And I want to thank the Mechanchim and Mechanchos and whoever else is listening uh, for uh, paying attention to the words that I have to say. I was thinking uh, for quite a few days as to uh, how I want to address uh, this issue. Uh, there have been those uh, who are uh, wiser than I am who have uh, searched for closets. Uh, basically defects uh, in Jewish society, which helped bring uh, this uh, heavenly scourge upon us. But that's not uh, my department. I uh, cannot read the will of heaven. I uh, do not understand many of the great things that have occurred and that will occur. And I'm a great believer in uh, the words of the prophet, there is an indelible line between heaven and earth, between the creator and human beings, and we never really cross that line. And once we accept that, so uh, I think we should turn our attention and not so much uh, to the past, and uh, even not so much to the present, as to the future. And for that, I want to offer a few insights that I think will be of value and uh, can uh, help put things into some perspective. But we live in a biblical time. It's a biblical narrative. When this is over, we will be Noah leaving the table. Uh, we will have seen uh, the end of the world as we knew it a few months ago. And we will be stepping into a new world. I don't know what that new world will look like. But I am quite certain that will not be exactly the old world that we knew. It will take uh, many, many years, maybe even decades, for uh, society generally throughout the world, because this is not only uh, Western society, Europe, the United States, the Jewish people, but it's the whole, all of mankind uh, smitten by this. And uh, no matter how hard we try to rebuild and how quickly we do so, it's going to take time. It took uh, an entire decade in a world war for America to recover from the 1930 Depression. And uh, the aftermath of the First World War uh, lived on uh, through our time. So uh, we are really what Noah was. He opened up the ark and he stepped out and no one was there. And so he had to rebuild the world. And he thought somehow that the world would rebuild itself. Because how tell us, Rashi quotes it, we teach it to our children, 
Yochel Noach Isho Adomo, Rashi says, Nasa Chulin. Chulin means you lose your perspective. You don't see anymore the holiness, the morality, the big picture. Chulin is like whole. You see the little sands. You see the grains in front of your eyes. And uh, therefore, Ayitakerim, uh, he planted a vineyard, and he made wine, and he drank, and he became drunk, and uh, the rest of the story unfolds. Now, this always was a disturbing idea to me, because the, the Torah does not lavish compliments upon people. Uh, we don't find in the Torah, you know, Rav Agon, Atzadik, Chuzo, Yogain, Oleinu, none of that exists. And the Rambam, when he speaks about Avraham Avinu, says, Olam HaSholom. So uh, the Torah is not given to hyperbole. They're not given to false compliments. And yet, the Torah says, Noach ish tzadik tomi moya bedorosov, v'esuelohim isalech Noach. Noach's the greatest. It doesn't say by Avraham Avinu that. It doesn't say it even by Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is called Eved Hashem. Tzadik. Tomim. Esuelahim is Saleh Noach. So how did it go wrong? What was the basic mistake? And then this, there is uh, in the rabbinic literature that uh, fills volumes. The differences between Noach and Avram. What are we supposed to learn from it? But one of the ideas that I always felt had traction, at least logic, was that Noah thought that after the Mabu, mankind had learned its lesson. It could never again be Vatimaleo Eretz Never again would people behave in such a fashion. Look what happened. And therefore he felt that, so to speak, he had very little duty regarding rebuilding the world. The world would rebuild itself. And uh, it would rebuild itself, he felt, in his image. He didn't see that lurking within his own family lays the seeds for the destruction of the world once again. Uh, to such an extent that uh, the Lord, so to speak, has to make a commitment that he will not destroy the world again because the world is worthy of destruction. But uh, the lesson is that uh, destruction doesn't change people. And it's an eternal struggle within us against evil, against desire, against greed, against hubris, against arrogance. And that if you're not willing to engage in that struggle on a regular, continuing basis, if you think that somehow you can take your foot off the pedal and you have time to plant the vineyard and make wine, and the world will take care of itself, that's an error. That's a significant error. And from that stemmed Chom and Canaan and all of the other problems that are uh, recognized and described by the Torah and uh, throughout all of Jewish life. So, uh, Noah's uh, example is not that of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu is Asar, Nishonas, Nishnas, Avraham. We all met Bakuam. 
we got past number one and number two. He didn't say, well, okay, now it's all taken care of. Now we can go ahead and, uh, you know, we can do what I want. We all might be cool. You have to be able to withstand all of them. And you have to withstand it at all times. Now, uh, I remember something that the Punavizhirov told me uh, 50 years ago. Maybe 51 years ago. When I was in Miami Beach, and he was in Miami Beach for the winter, and I spent time with him. He was one clever Jew. And Chacham Adiv Minovi. In, the, in Yiddish, there was an expression, It's better to lose with a wise man than to win with a fool. We're afraid of wise men because uh, they make us uncomfortable. We like fools because they're sycophants. They say what we want them to say. They never challenge us. So he told me as follows. I remember it, once he was, we were talking about the fact that uh, after he built the yeshiva in Bnei Brak, the great fun of his yeshiva, he uh, embarked on a campaign. He, he dreamt that he was going to rebuild, he told me, 18 yeshivas that had been destroyed in Lithuania. So he took on the Gordon yeshiva, Rav Shimon's yeshiva, and he rebuilt it in Ashdod. And he was going to rebuild another uh, yeshiva, in uh, the northern part of Israel, in the Galil. And naturally, uh, this put a great strain financially on Ponovich itself. And since he was Mr. Ponovich, so the great strain really uh, descended upon his uh, frail shoulders. He was not a well man. He had a very hard life. So uh, I, uh, I was then young and arrogant. When you're old, you're less arrogant. But then I said to him, you know, why do you need this? Your point of is enough. More than enough. So he told me, he said, you know, we're still living in an eight ratzon, he said. We're living in a time. And he gave me the example. He said, if God forbid a child is ill and very ill and is transported to the hospital, and the doctors struggle to save the life of the child. And eventually they are successful. And the child becomes better. And then the doctors one day say the great news, he can leave the hospital. And he comes home. So he said when the child comes home, the parents don't know what to do. Whatever toy he wants, well, he wants ice cream three times a day, whatever. So great is the gratitude that the child is here. But he says that only lasts a certain period of time. That cannot be the way to raise a child for the entire childhood. That cannot be. So it therefore has a limit. So he said to me, he said the Jewish people were in the hospital. He was talking about the Shoah. The Jewish people were on the verge of destruction. He said, miraculously, somehow we survived. Terrible losses, a third of the Jewish people. But the Jewish people survived. So the Rabboni Shalom, he said, like a doting parent, 
He gave us whatever we wanted. In his words, he said, you wanted a Medina? I gave you a Medina. You want to rebuild Torah? Anybody. He, he said it to me, his words, he said, anybody can be a Russian yeshiva. Open a yeshiva. You want money? You'll see the Jewish people become wealthy. But he said that won't last forever. And he said to me prophetically, I thought of it for the last few days, cooped up here in the house. He said, maybe the last 50 years. But there'll come a time when that door is closed. And when that door is closed, he said, we'll have to do it on our own. We'll have to rebuild the Jewish people by the dint of our efforts, by the talent that we have, but mainly by the sacrifice that we have. He said the last great test of Aroma Vino is sacrifice, the Akeda. And that's how we will survive. He said, Adios Agoel. I thought of that uh, over the last, uh, I'm here in the house by my daughter for the last two and a half weeks. I haven't gone outside except to take a little walk around the block. Uh, completely uh, divorced from human society. And I, uh, I thought that, you know, he's right, the 50 years ran out. So now we have to do it again. There was a time in America when the day school movement began, so there was nothing. When by Salavechik made Maimonides, Rabbi Tights made the Elizabeth, uh, Chaim Berlin made a place, Eitz uh, Chaim was in Borough Park, uh, but that was it. And people came, and by enormous personal sacrifice, rebuilt the Jewish people. That's how we have a state, and that's how Torah Masora was built. Torah Masora was built by the iron will of Mr. Mendelowitz and Rabbi Dr. Joseph Kamenetsky, and hundreds of B'nai Torah who were willing to sacrifice, who left comfortable places to live and went to uh, Kansas City and St. Louis and all sorts of other hinterland places. And I remember Ravarn uh, promised, he said, anyone who's willing to sacrifice, he said, I guarantee that their children will be all right. Even though there was no chinuch for their children except, and the day schools originally would, uh, would not pass muster what they are today or what we demand today. But they were successful because they were built with sacrifice. They were built with a vision. They were built with great faith. It wasn't just a profession to be a Muhammad. It wasn't just you're a teacher. You're not a teacher. You're a savior of Kuala Yisrael. It's up to you. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I never want to use myself as an example because I'm not worthy. But I remember uh, I was offered... Uh, to leave Chicago in my law practice and to go to become a rose in Miami Beach and the shul then in Miami Beach had 39 families and was in a storefront and I had four little children to raise and my salary the first year in the Rabonis was less than the income tax I paid the last year as a lawyer. So I asked my Rebbe, my Rabbi Chrysler, I don't know, you know, and he said, Mordechai said to Esther, 
If you don't do it now, God is giving you an opportunity. You don't want the opportunity. Miami Beach will get another rose. Don't worry about it. But uh, there are consequences. And I heard him very carefully. Now, I'm, I'm a very small example of it. There are people who made far greater sacrifices. People who built, created the Torah world. But we should not think that the Torah world will exist by itself. That it's automatic. That, you know, when all of this is over, we'll just go back. And we'll have curriculum, and we'll have uh, professional studies, and we'll have this, and we'll have that. And, you know, the tuition will get collected. All of that, my friends, I think is going to be gone for a while. It's not going to be able to, uh, you're not going to be able to pay those tuitions. The schools are not going to be able to afford all the things that they have now. When uh, I went uh, to uh, the Chicago Jewish Academy or to the yeshiva in Chicago, uh, we didn't have any facilities. We had a building, but, you know, with classrooms, that's it. You know, there was no gym, and there was no this, and there were no special studies. And there, was no, there was nothing. That was it. It was meat and potatoes. But we had rabbis who were willing to go to the end of the world so that the Talmudim would somehow... Not that they would be the Vilnagon. Not that they would be Machadish like Abchaim. But that they would be Jewish. That they would marry Jewish. That they'd be Shomrei Shabbat. That they'd be good Jews. And therefore they taught us values. I look back at it, they taught much less knowledge than values. In today's world we teach knowledge. How much do we pump into them? So many times you have uh, people who know a lot, but uh, they have no concept of values. They have no concept of what Judaism really is. It doesn't make any difference what costume they wear. Or what uh, provisions of piety they profess. They have no concept of what it is. The Rambam says that the basic requirement is So he says, The main thing is to know it. And that's why the first bracha that we make almost is And Chazal say, If there's no das, there's no havdolo, there's nothing. There's no analysis. No, but you can't figure it out if you don't have das. Das is to know the value system that the Rabboni Shalom wants from us. And with that, in order to, in my opinion, in order to be able to know that, and that was my experience in my years of uh, learning, you'll take a look at the Sufre Musr. See, a basic Sufre Musr. Uh, that uh, the Ramchal, Rabbeinu Bechayr, Rabbeinu Yonah, the Orchid Sadiqim, 90% of the text are psukim from Tanakh. In fact, that's why Rabbi, uh, the, the Ramchal says in his immortal introduction to the Messiah, I'm not coming to tell you anything new. 
I'm only coming to remind you of things that you know. Now he assumed that you knew Tanakh. He assumed that the people with the book knew what book you were talking about. To a great extent, that's not really a valid assumption today. And if you don't know Tanakh, then you don't know the value system. And I'm not talking about knowing Tanakh, every word, what it means. I mean, Jews recited the Hillim for uh, millennia without knowing exactly what every word meant. But they knew what Hillim meant. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't know what it means. But there are a few psukim that should be baked into you. Uh, my Rebbe always used to say, What does God want from you? He must mishpot. That's what God wants from you. So he used to say, Doesn't he want you to know Tesis? So he used to say, That's the Hatznei Aleches. Hatznei Aleches is to know that you can know the value system and you can be a great and good Jew and not know every Tesis. That doesn't mean that you, if you have the capability to know it, you should, you should know it, certainly. But the value system is not dependent on that. The value system is dependent on what does God want from you? That's the question. The Mesut Yishore begins, what are we doing here? Is that a question that we ask in our schools? That so if that issue is never raised and then you're blindsided by a pandemic or a depression or all sorts of things that happen, so what, how can you deal with it? What did he want from me? Why did this happen to me? So that's very important. There's another post that uh, I think uh, at least it was drummed into me over and over again. So, so we think the rich man, so he's got a, he made a lot of money, you know, we, we know that the money, uh, many times is only a fortuitous thing. But we also know it's easy come, easy go, as anybody can testify over the last few weeks. When people are destroyed by uh, the loss of money. The Bali Musa used to sing, Gonam Doreg, Alibud Domov, Veno Doreg, Alibud Yomov. Domov Venom Hosrim, Yomov Venom Hosrim. Okay, that's a hard lesson to learn. Now, the Jews who lived through the 1930s and 1940s learned that lesson. And that's why they and their children were able to build Torah Mesorah. But when you're raised, as we have raised our generations, that there never is a shortage, and that whatever you want you can get, well, that's a pretty rude awakening. That's Noah coming out of the table. That's nobody there. So he said, Chazal say, who is an usher? Can there be a greater usher than that? Somebody says enough. Chazal say, 
Whoever has 100 wants 200. So that's true for 100 million also. There is nothing written. The word enough doesn't exist in our vocabulary. And here the Chazal say, but we have here such a Jew that he's satisfied with what he has. That's sufficient for him. So should he not be worthy of praise? And then a giver bigvoroso. Somebody that is a giver, a hero, a strong man, a courageous man, a brave man, a warrior. Who isn't frightened by others. A rare person. Because we're all frightened by others. What will the other person say? What will he do? I have to do this because everybody does it. I have to conform. It's not me, but I got to do it. And here you have a gibber. And who's the gibber? He knows his yetzerah. He knows his weaknesses. He knows where he is vulnerable. And he takes active steps to avoid that vulnerability. To be able somehow to overcome it. So he's the true hero. He's the gibber. And nobody has a bigger gibber than that. I want to do it. I have the ability to do it. And I don't do it because I have the self-discipline not to do it. So that's Gura. I once heard uh, somebody say as a joke, but all Yiddish jokes have a kernel of truth to it, that why when a person, for instance, reaches my ages, why is he called Gurus and Shmoni Gurus? So he said, a very clever man, said by the time you reach 80, you, you figured it all out already. But you know all the nonsense. But you... So that is the Gura of age. That you don't make yourself the expert simply because you're old. But then it says, the Chochem B'Chochmoso. The wise man should not praise himself because of wisdom. Well, the Chazal say, Ezeu Chochem, who is the wise man, that he can see the consequence, well aware of uh, the future. And, uh, we all live in a time of unintended consequences. Every time a law is passed by a legislature, the law can look to be the greatest law, the most perfect law, the one that we just needed, marvelous. But it has unintended consequences that no one can foresee. And because of those unintended consequences, it works many times against the law itself. An example I heard just now about this uh, uh, stimulus bill that was passed here in the United States to revive the economy after this is over. So uh, they... they uh, made new provisions and unemployment insurance. So uh, I heard that one of the senators uh, who uh, criticized it, he said, if a person works, he, gets, he pays the minimum wage. Let's say he's an entry-level job. He has no skills. has no high school diploma. Works 40 hours a week. He gets $15 an hour. He gets $600 a week. Under the terms of this unemployment bill, he will get $926 a week. 
Why should anybody go to work? Now, that was the intent of the bill was that people should work. And the intent of the bill is that we want the economy to revive. But here you have an unintended consequence built right into the bill. That the guy will figure out that he gets make $600 a week working and he makes $926 a week not working. What's he going to do? So the Chochem is such a Chochem. Aroes Hanolod even knows the unintended consequences. Nevertheless, the Novi says, Al Yisalel. There's nothing to be, that's not it. King Buzos Yisalel, Am Yisalel. You want to be proud of something? You want to praise yourself? Haskel Yadah Osi. Know me. Know what I want. Know what lies behind all of this. My Rebbe used to say, that behind the Shulchan Aruch is the, the, the Rebbein Shalewan. Well, some don't, you know. So it's an instinct. And that instinct only teachers can provide. Parents can provide it too, but the, the parents today are uh, themselves the victims. But those who are on the front line every day in the classroom, values, that's what to teach them. We're going to rebuild the Jewish people. We're going to build it better. We're going to learn from our past errors. We're not going to fall into the same ways. And we're going to teach Hatznei Aleches in Malakecha. Less is more. And we're going to teach to know God. I have a famous story that I always told in my years in the yeshiva. I've told it in my years in the Rabbonus. But it's, uh, to me, it's, uh, it's the bedrock story of when I came to New York, Rabbi Rosenberg, Rabbi Alexander Rosenberg, was still the head of the OU Kosher's division. Rabbi Rosenberg had a very, very soft spot for the Nitzolei Shoah because he knew them in the camps. He went there right after the war. He spent a few years helping. He created Shrita, he and the Kloisenberger Rebbe. It was a, it was a remarkable person. He's like, there are many, many great people in Jewish life that never really get their due. If there's conscience in America today, it's because of him. Everything is built on what he built. In any event, but when you were the head of the OU, people came to you with all sorts of propositions. And uh, Rabbi Rosenberg was a master negotiator. And I remember I was in the office one day, and he was there, and a Jew came... Uh, a refugee Jew who built himself up and had now a food company. And he was making a second food company. And he came to Rabbi Rosenberg and he said, uh, you know, I must have the OU, Hefzer. Uh I'm opening this company in two weeks. And uh, I, I need the Hefzer. He said, I'm printing the labels. And on the labels already, I have the OU printed. So Rabbi Rosenberg... Uh, said to him, uh, you know, it takes time. We have to, uh, we have to uh, go over all the ingredients. We have to find your suppliers. We have to see the process. And then we have to bring it to the rabbinic commission that they should decide. And then after the rabbinic commission, we bring it to the commission of the layman to decide the, the contract. It, you know, it's a matter of months. It's not a matter of two weeks. But a man was upset. And he said, Rabbi Rosenberg, I told you, I'm printing the labels, you know. We got, uh, the doctor's on. We got to uh, have it now. But Rosenberg was a master negotiator, as I said. So he was silent. He didn't say anything. 
So the man mistook the silence. And he said, Rabbi Rosenberg, I'll tell you what. He said, uh, I'm willing to set aside 5% of the shares in this company for you to do whatever you want with it. Rosenberg uh, didn't say a word. So the man started to negotiate with himself. He said, 6%. And then finally, he said, my final offer, I can't do better. Rabbi Rosenberg is 7.5%. And then Rabbi Rosenberg just said a few words to him in Yiddish. He said, What would God say to this conversation? And that ended the conversation. The man was so embarrassed, he slunk out of the office. That's a good question. What does God say about these things? And these are basic questions of life and of values. That it's the job of the school of Mechanchim, Mechanchos, of parents, of Jewish society generally to ask. You don't, know, you don't hear anybody ask these questions. generation, so it's no comparison to today's. I don't use it as criticism. I just use it as history. But nobody asked, how long did your Seder take? No one asked that. No one asked, uh, what did you ask for when you stole the Afrik Oman? No one stole the Afrik Oman. What are you talking about? And, no, and certainly no one asked, where did you go for Pesach? I was home. Pesach is home. So this year Pesach is also home. And uh, there are many people who are uh, disturbed, troubled, challenged, confused by that idea. But that's Haskell Villadella, you see. You know, that, <laughs> I, cannot, I don't speak for heaven, but I think heaven has a good chuckle out of all of this. but everyone that was written down is talking to us. So we should at least know what they say. We should know what their value system was. So we will together rebuild the Jewish people. Stronger, better, closer to its core, with a strength of purpose and a clarity of vision. And with a strength within us know to do what is right and not to think that it will happen automatically again in my time we all went to public school we went to public school and you sang Christmas carols and you were indoctrinated with the American melting pot idea so I wonder how so many of us remain loyal Jews and that was because the parents insisted on it 
My mother used to tell me often, what did you learn in school today? And I would tell her, and she said, well, forget that. That's not who we are. But today, uh, we pursue that. We don't know who we are. So then the, the value system of the Western world becomes our value system. Every fad becomes acceptable. The more ludicrous, the more acceptable. So we have a great task ahead of us when we get out of the ark. We are capable of it. We have the ability to make it happen. The proof of the matter is that we did so 70 years ago under really uh, overall worse circumstances. But we have to be willing to recognize it, deal with it, and have the strength and courage and sacrifice to be able to create and do what we know is good and noble and correct and eternal. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to wish you good health. Everyone should take care of themselves. In the mirror to Shem, we'll hear Psurus Davis, Yeshua, Svenechomos. Thank you.